Hi, this is Frankie Galland. Welcome to the One More Try podcast. The idea for this podcast actually began as a photography project. I wanted to do a portrait project about skateboarders who had dealt with alcoholism and or addiction at some point in their lives and are now either in recovery or have been sober. And basically the path that took them to get to sobriety, why they chose sobriety, or in some cases abstinence from alcohol or another substance that was interfering with the quality of their life. So I say sobriety loosely. It's different for everybody. I think what's most important is that the substance you're abusing alcohol or drugs if they are limiting your ability to lead a happy productive life and you made the choice to get help ask for help quit whether on your own um, or through various other methods that's what i want to find out and be able to share these journeys with my listeners as a way to inspire people that there's another way or a healthier way um, to try and be i'm not trying to preach Personally, I've been sober for like four and a half years, basically. And when I was going through it, when I was abusing alcohol and drugs, it felt pretty normal as a skateboarder to be experimenting and or abusing and not really worrying too much about the consequences to my health, to my relationship. I did that for quite a long time. And I felt like when I hit rock bottom that I didn't really have a lot of places to turn to. Whether it was friends, I felt like estranged from most of my good friends because of my behavior, dealing with alcohol and drugs, and being addicted to heroin definitely pushed a lot of people away. So I want this project to shine a light on some positive experiences. You'll hear from various people. Everyone's got a different story. You know, again, the the initial goal was a portrait project, a long-form portrait project, but I felt like it was going to take too long, and I wanted to get these stories out as soon as I could. I'm going to follow up the podcast project with portraits in some form, maybe a, a website that can go along with the podcast, so listeners can, can read the interviews and then see the photographs that we took. So yeah, podcast, it's called One More Try. It's called One More Try because I always felt that skateboarders, you know, when you're busting your ass and every time you keep trying to give it your all, you, you bust your ass, you're like fucking lying on the ground, bloodied, busted up. More often than not, you're like, I'm going to do this. Like, give me one more try. So I think that using that analogy to describe the way skateboarders have also dealt with battling alcoholism and addiction that kind of felt right to me no. so in the first episode here we have i'm interviewing michael mancini some people will know michael mancini as the dango um, that's probably how i was introduced to him i believe we met in los angeles i was living in los angeles from about late 2000 to I'd say 2006, I was a professional skateboard photographer. My last serious gig was at a magazine called Strength, where I was the photo editor there. And I shot a lot with Danny Renaud, and he's from Florida. Mike is also from the Orlando area, so they knew each other from that scene. 
even though Mike's quite a bit older, as you'll hear from the interview, he has quite a, a long storied history in the Florida scene. From getting bullied in high school to his skateboard contests, trying to go bigger, doing bigger bigger tricks on the board. He also speaks about peer pressure and how he began his journey drinking and experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Mike Mancini was also a big feature in the West Side Skate Shop videos. West Side Skate Shop, if you don't know, was started by John Montesi. He was a pro skateboarder for a company called New Deal. I believe actually that they are the founders of New Deal are starting it back up again, so that's pretty exciting. I was a big fan as a kid, definitely had a lot of those boards. There was a couple other Floridians, I think, that were skating for New Deal at the time. And I'm also from Florida, outside of the Fort Lauderdale area, South Florida and Miami. So yeah, West Side Skate Shop videos, they featured Mike Mancini, the Dango, and a lot of them, they were filmed and edited and I believe concepted by another good friend of ours by the name of Joe Perrin and Joe Perrin is now over at Santa Cruz and NHS leading their video creative department over there but back when we were coming up when we were I don't know I wouldn't say teens but maybe 20s <laughs> for some of us joe parent was making these videos they featured dango dango was usually like the feet like the maybe the star but more like the court jester of the videos because he was always doing antics getting into trouble hamming it up for the camera just making you laugh you know he's the guy that slams and you're like <laughs> making just like making everybody laugh and always with just his personal uh, shtick of humor. I mean, he definitely like pushed the envelope when it came to putting himself in harm's way just for, for antics, basically. Not unlike some of the things you may or may not have seen during the, the jackass period of uh, Big Brother and jackass, the likes. Um, but awesome dude, super smart guy. I had the pleasure of sitting down with him at his home in Miami. I think this was last year, uh, June, around June of 2018. Like I said, the podcast originally was just going to be, or this project was just going to be um, a portrait project with not really any seriousness of becoming a podcast, but I've since changed my direction on that. Mike has shit. I think he's got, well, it's in the interview. He'll tell you, but he's got quite a few years sober and he's got quite a story to tell. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks for listening. I hope that you can find some inspiration. If you're in trouble, always reach out, always ask for help. I know it's not easy and saying reach out for help is kind of, you know, what are people saying when they say that, you know, basically good luck. Um, through this podcast, I'm going to try to find avenues that skateboarders and young people can follow to get help that they need. But yeah, listen to the interview. Hope you enjoy it. Um, I'm gonna make a, a little outro, I guess, at the end. I'm totally new to this process, so bear with me. Um, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Thank you to skateboarding. Thanks to Mike. And without further ado, here is the interview. I'm
Michael Mancini. I was born in Salem, Massachusetts. Moved to Florida when I was about eleven. Yeah. What uh? People used to call you Dango. Is that is that still sticking? Dango. People do. I'd say like fifty percent of so the skate I, community. When I like calls was, was going to call you, I was like, oh, should I call Mike or Dango? And I feel like. But I've known you so long. Dango might might have had like a connection to some other like, you know, because I was like, when Joe Perrin was making the, you know, the the Dango is dead. That was like your character, you know. You kind of, I mean, you were you were that person already, but then you kind of like stepped into it and went a little bit further. I think I took it and ran with it. It was like kind of like I'm nothing, kind of like the maniac I was portraying because I think the drinking really like. When I was drinking a lot of beer and stuff, it, it was making, it was like ex, making it exaggerated. You know what I mean? It was yeah. exaggerating that craziness. Where yeah. I am kind of crazy. Yeah, but you're a colorful character. I, I like to think so. But I always thought that those videos, like you, I always felt like when you had attention in front of you, like you kind of like up the ante a little bit. You're like, oh, like maybe like people, you know, this is like this is getting a reaction. So this is probably like, you know, it's I'm making people laugh. Yes, and it was at the expense of my own, of myself. You know yeah. what I mean? It was kind of like, and I, I, I'm gonna say that I probably lost a lot of respect in some people's eyes just because I was, I was really sacrificing my own self to be funny, yeah. to be to make people laugh. It's funny now because then it was like I love to be the center of attention, and I think maybe the alcohol was doing it because now that I don't drink. I shy away from that. Like, like, yeah. like I w- I'll win awards at work or something and I just kind of like yeah. dip out of the, I don't want to be the center I, I, in any regard. I don't want to be that. It's weird. It was like, a, I'm, I've done a complete 180. Maybe that's the real person I was underneath. Yeah. I mean, you can still tap into that. I know when I was drinking, you know, I definitely, you know, I went from being sort of an introverted person. And then when I started coming to Miami and being social, I always I felt like I needed to have that um, to be like inebriated or like to join the party, and then like this other Frankie would come out, and I'd be like, "Oh, like he's talking, he's fun now," and they'd see me like other times and be like, "Oh, he's an asshole. He doesn't say anything to me." <laughs> so you think that when you were drinking, you were more introverted? No, it was the opposite. I think I became more social while like, you were drinking. Yeah, I mean, I I like you know when I moved to California, I wasn't drinking, and I had to like. I forced myself to like to become this other person because that's what who I thought that people wanted me to be. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's funny because well, before like when I was really young and I first came to Florida, I was in middle school and I don't know. It was weird because I, I we had lived in Boston, well, not Boston per se, but around Salem, Massachusetts, until I was like three, and then when we were three, we moved to Providence, Rhode Island. When I was three and lived in Providence Rhode Island until I was like 11 and I had created this life there where like I was I was playing uh little league and I was really into baseball and I loved it I was part of this you know I tried so hard to get on this other team to get you know and I finally got on this other team and a week or two later my parents were just loading up the car and I got in the car and they said okay say goodbye to Providence you know we're leaving now and I'm like what and I'm like, what do you mean? I have this whole life. My cousins live across the street. They're my best friend. How old were you? I was 11, okay. maybe 10 and a half, 11. And I just, uh, 
in, 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 I got in the car and I'm freaking out like, oh my God, like, what do you mean? And we just got in the car and drove to Florida. And, and I said goodbye to my life in one second. And that, I don't think they realized the effect that had on my psyche or like yeah. how it really deeply affected me big time. Like yeah. it set the trend for the rest of my life. Was there like a trust problem you think you had? You're Maybe. Like, oh, they were just gonna pull the wool, the wool over sheep's eyes. I felt like I started to adapt to this this mentality of things are always gonna change so rapidly. Yeah. I think I'm still that way now. It affects me. I'm 43 now, and it affects me to this day. Yeah. And I was talking to my dad about it recently, and he got he. They didn't know, you know, they didn't know that how deeply that affected me. I think they were like, we thought it was better for you to just just uproot and go all at once. You know what I mean? Yeah, which I don't think they really when you're that young, especially. Yeah. And I was really baseball to me was my skateboarding. It was like I got on Dennis Auto, this team. It was like getting on that was like getting on Girl or Chocolate <sighs> in the Little League. In that they were the top of the top notch in the Little League thing, you know. And I think it's funny because a lot of people like don't associate sports and skateboarding, and I don't either, to, yeah. uh, to be honest. But it, it's a sense of belonging a little bit. Yeah, it was something like that. And I was like the star kid. I was a good pitcher. You know, I could pitch really good. So they really loved that about me. I wasn't such a great hitter, but I was good. I was good, but not as good as some of those kids. So you, you took that, I mean, that energy you put into baseball, you put into skateboarding when you were younger. And it's, I mean, you did contests and stuff like that. I was, you know, the first, I've been skating 33 years. In the first 10 years, of my skating, I'd say, you know, the first two or three, I was learning all the tricks. But then about three years in, I started, did my first competition. Yeah. And I was competing for like seven or eight years. And I was in the top five. I was always afraid. In Florida. Conference. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, I think that center of attention thing, yeah. early on, I guess, before I started drinking, it was there. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, I wanted to be the center of attention. Yeah. But, you know. And so you, wait, with you, you didn't like competition? I mean, no, I, I, I tried a couple of times in like some shop sponsored skate contests. I just didn't, I didn't have the consistency or the drive for it. And I think I learned for, I mean, early on that I wasn't going to be like that great at skateboarding. And, and I think that's why I picked up the camera. I don't know. I just had this mental block I couldn't overcome. For me, um, it was I, 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 maybe if I would have, if I would have meditated more on it, or if I would have like, I just, I don't know if there was a, fe- I was a little bit more fearless when I was younger. Then I got hurt a few times, and I just kind of like dialed back. And then once I started shooting skateboarding photography, like, I would, you know, flack around on ledges, yeah, but I would never like try anything that was like gonna like put my put me in harm's way that, that's the thing like i was jumping off the biggest stuff in orlando i could take you to so many spots where i was the first to jump off this i would think i'm the now this is crazy to say but i think i'm the first skateboarder ever to ollie 66 ever 16 yeah because it was 1988 yeah i don't think i never saw anyone ollie at 13 then yeah you know what i mean i mean how are you gonna 16 find out? into a hill yeah. And this kid was recording with the Panasonic. You know, we used to have this Panasonic camera. But when you hit record, the reel didn't pick up yeah, for three for a, seconds. Yeah, yeah. Same so man. the dumbass hits record as I'm ollie. Yeah. He didn't so know. when he hits it, it picked up and it just shows me riding away. 
And I was so angry. And then he's like, I had fallen the first time I tried it. Yeah. And I was in a bloody shaking mess. Oh. And I came back a week later. And that's when the next what, weekend. What inspired you to try those? Just, uh, there was a 17 at the high school, the local high school. And it was my high school eventually. And um, it was a 17 that was this lore like, oh, no one's ever done it. And no one ever did it for years and years and years. But then... Um, I don't know. There, I wanted to do it. It was in my mind. Like, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to Ollie these. I'm going to. So, and my friend, my best friend at the time, he's, he passed away now, but he freaking, um, he's like, we go to the 16 at Home Depot in Altamont Springs. And it was into a little hill even, which was yeah. even gnarlier yeah. into a busy street. So uh, he's like, if you don't fucking Ollie this, I was up at the top ready. And they're all down there egging me on. Yeah. And, and I'm up there. And he and he's like, if you don't all like this, you're never gonna do the 17 year old Vito High School, never. And right when he said that, something clicked in my head, and I pushed towards it. Yeah. And when I ollied, this is when I fell though. And when and when I ollied, the my stomach felt like it was coming out of my ass. Like I I ollied off, and it was like into the great blue yonder. And I just flailed it all the way down, yeah. right to my side. And just skidded and fucking this whole arm was just my right arm was just bloodied up and skinned to the bone. And I was shaking and shaking yeah. and my friend picked me up and then and then uh he that was and I came back the next weekend and I did it. They came again and he was saying the same shit. He was like he he he's like, Oh you gotta do the only yeah. way you're gonna do this is if I talk shit to you. So he's yeah. talking shit and I did it, man. Yeah. And then the kid recording, of course, fucked it up and I was so pissed, man. But wow. Yeah, and I think I'm the first one ever to Ollie off 16 stage. Yeah, that'd be a pretty good feat. Yeah, and like I don't know, it's crazy to say, but I never heard of Jamie Thomas in 1988, or I never, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, we didn't have that. I mean, there was like I don't even remember. And I was in a, a was I was eight? a gnarly skater. I I was doing only kickflips and ollies and 180s I mean, well, down the biggest things, you know. Right, H Street. H Street got me hype, but you know Frankie Hill, I think had Ollie that mountain, yeah. but was that? I don't know if that was 88. I don't know. Maybe it was before 80. I don't know. I'm, yeah. my, all my times are crazy. I can only go by what age I was. Yeah. But I guess I guess you could take it back. I was about, damn, 88. Yeah. About 85. I yeah. was like four, 13 or 14. So, yeah. yeah. So, when did you, when did you start drinking? Young? I was a late later. bloomer. Later, yeah. Yeah. Time. And I was like, I was in 11th grade. And I was That's 17. No, I was 17, which is kind of late compared to my friends. Yeah. They were drinking at 14 and yeah. 15. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them were younger than me. Yeah. So when I was 17, they were 15 or 14. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they were skating. You know how skating breaks that barrier of the age barrier. Like oh, yeah. You don't care that the kid's 14 or because he's, whatever, he's yeah. launching the ramp too. So um, I remember uh, these surfer kids would always make fun of me. Ah, oh, you... You're so scared. You're a pussy. You won't drink. You won't smoke weed and all this. And I'm like, you know, like, and I was like, ah, oh. one day they had a party and they lived across in the neighborhood across from mine. So I went over to the party with all the surfers, which I despised them secretly, you know, oh, yeah. because of the surf thing. It was yeah. like, I skate. You yeah, fucking, you they That's skated different. only enough to be cool, you know, yeah. to where I was like a hardcore, like I knew everything about it yeah. and uh, whatever. And I went there and they had a bong and cans of beer. And they're like, oh, drink a fucking beer. Hit the bong. And I'm like, I'm not going to hit the bong. I'll 
try a beer, but I'm not gonna fuck with that bong thing. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Like I was scared to death of it. Like uh-huh. I thought it was a fucking crack pipe or oh, yeah. you know what I mean? I didn't know. They were hitting it and blowing the smoke out, yeah. laughing, and I'm like, ah, shaking yeah. and I'm drinking a beer fine I'm like oh this tastes funny whatever but I had had beer before because my uncle sure would be like here have a sip of this kid or you yeah, know yeah. when I, and I have a sip of Jack Daniels whatever but um it wasn't anything like where it was this was in this now this is an open forum now you're just yeah and uh freedom yeah and so then they're like hit the bong or else you're a pussy we're gonna tell everyone tomorrow at school you're a pussy and I'm like fuck you asshole all right Fuck it. I finally I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit the bomb. And then I'm, I grab it. And I don't even know where to begin. They're yeah. like, there's a carb here. It was one of those ones with the hole in the back yeah. where you put your thumb over. And I'm like, oh, and then I, I, I'm hitting it, but I can't get any smoke. And they're like, hit it harder. Oh, like hitting me. Like, and I'm like, fuck. And I hit it hard and I get the smoke, but I'm like, oh, I just start coughing. They're like, you didn't inhale. I'm like, how do you inhale? They're like, bring it into your chest. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I didn't, you know, yeah. I don't know. And then I finally, I hit it and I, brought it in and I blew it out but I didn't get high I'm oh, like yeah. waiting I'm like I'm like I'm not high I'm not high. they're like you're not high yet. you need another one I'm like fuck I, no and I was like scared and yeah. I didn't but uh it's not that's not the best way to to smoke pot for the first time not of a bong being, too and being afraid and being pressured you know and I was really being peer pressured yeah when I, did you move to LA I moved to LA 2004 because I was it was right after I moved, I lived, I moved there in 2001 and I just That's, turned 21. Yeah, it was, I was late, like 2004. I was like 28 or something like you that. You moved around the same time Danny Renata and Ryan Nix moved? Oh, hell no. No, no, before no. I they were it. years before. They were oh, years. They really? Yeah, they went there when they were like 13, 14. Yeah, I remember that. And they went and, and I mean, they kind of they kind of gave me the idea in some sense, you know, where I was like, damn, I want to go try. You know, I feel like had I run the California when I was 15 or 16, maybe I'd be working in the state industry now or doing something but because there was no industry on the east coast and i stayed so long forever and you know and honestly when they started making the west side videos in like 2000 i was on like a decline i wasn't going crazy i wasn't kick flipping off the 10 stairs anymore i wasn't i was done with that i was more in a technical I was into ledge skating and manuals yeah and 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 I think that I wasn't that good at that and I still am not that good at that but and when Nolly and Switch came in I just I couldn't keep up you know to be honest like it, Nolly was just completely foreign to me yeah you know what I mean Switch okay well, I can yeah, kind of I mean, do I used a to watch some few God, things that's like it's like of course up. and I I didn't to be honest because I didn't understand what he was doing I didn't pay attention to him yeah but now okay he's the god yeah. And it was like, I didn't pay attention to it. I think it was kind of a, a subconscious, conscious thing to like not look at it. Like, oh, it's not happening. Or you know um, what I mean? Like, yeah. it was like, because I knew I couldn't really do that. You know yeah. what I mean? So when I think about California, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we partied together too much. I don't remember you being there when like we were all doing coke all the time. I don't remember. No, yeah. that it was not. It was not coke. I remember the neighbor was massive. I guess meth was yeah, a big thing. Meth, I remember it was Christy, they called it yeah. or whatever. And like t- they did that in LA, like that was coke and like it was yeah. normal. And yeah. I and it would, it blew my mind. I'm like, did you, you guys doing that? Or no? So no, I wasn't. I wouldn't say doing it, but a first the first week or two, yeah. I was there. I was dabbling with yeah, it because yeah. they were like, try this. Well, so here's the story. That broke it open for me too. Here's the story yeah. that's insane. So. 
we're we're smoking weed out of the bong. It was like me and other Harold Way or no? Yeah, Harold Way. And we're smoking weed out of the bong, and and, and, and my friend's packing the bowl. And next, my friend is packing the bowl. And next thing I know, I start my jaw starts going like grinding my jaw. I'm like, Durr. I look at at my friend, and I'm like, dude, do you feel kind of weird? He's like, yeah. What the hell? And then and then we look over, and our friend is packing the weed, but he's putting this meth onto the bowls. Yeah. Of weed, but we didn't know. None of us knew. Yeah. So all of it, like, you can imagine who it was. So then my all our jaws are like, oh, but we feel great. We want to party. Yeah. Yeah. It was my first night in LA. Oh. So this is my introduction to LA. Yeah. So, and then the next day I was going to uh, to San Francisco with these guys. And so the, I guess I had done more of the stuff, and basically I blink my eyes like this, just blink my eyes. And when I open them, I'm on the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they're, my face hurts and my hair hurts. I'm like, what the hell? And I forget who was in the sh- riding in the front. And they had been beating me the whole way there because I wouldn't shut up. Uh-huh. Apparently I was like, just repeating yeah, this. Speed, really so I'm just repeating this off. one word. They said just over and over and over and over and over, yeah. just nonstop for five and a half hours. You know how long that trip is. Yeah. And so I wake up and I'm just in pain, and they're yelling at me, and they yeah. want to kill me. And I'm yeah. looking at the Golden Gate Bridge, like, where am I? Yeah, I mean, but imagine body, blinking your eyes and open them, and that's you're you from you, LA to SF. I mean, what I remember is besides the sort of antics, you put your your body through a lot of pain during these moments i did i got a lot of pain i mean you know during that i would be worried you know see you in sort of states where you're doing things not in the healthiest way of course it past the point of like getting attention to where i feel like it was like this guy i could lose his life yeah Yeah. and i the way i look at some of my friends now that still haven't wised up but i'm like you know, yeah. like uh, I mean, maybe that's why you were trying the big stunts skating earlier on. Like, I think I it think was, and you carry that. I mean, I feel like sometimes skateboarders they carry that that pain reward thing into. I have into sort of. I'm uh, a masochistic person in, yeah, in a I, lot of we ways. We all find a little bit of that ourselves. So, like, when yeah. you're drinking, you're skating, you're trying to push your body, and at the same time, when you're drinking and doing whatever else, you kind of. It's a bit of an invincibility. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. And I, I always, you know, I still kind of like certain kinds of pain. It's weird. Like I, I don't know. It's it's something like that. Like where, and honestly, I look at this life as so fleeting that I still, honestly, now in my sober, I've been sober since uh, September sixteenth, two thousand and what's the date today? Like May 30th, 2018. So in yeah. this, this September, it'll be seven years. But um, still in this sober mind, I look at life as so fleeting that it's like, I, I do want to take care of myself. I want to be as healthy as I want to be. But I also have this like, this over, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't, I don't hold on to this material world so much. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Was there, I, was there a point? Had you ever stopped to think that you had a problem? Or, I mean, was there too many people yeah, around, well, you I'll that tell were you this. around you? Like, before you get to that Miami story about the liquor store, I mean, yeah. Or was there a point 
and that happened in a relationship or or any other way where you're like I'm maybe harming my body or like yeah well I I'll tell you this I drank for twenty years hardcore like blackout pretty yeah much. we all drank a blackout I mean, yeah. yeah the first ten years I never tried to quit but <clears throat> the latter ten years I was struggling to quit yeah I was and 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 the thing. Okay, I would drink to oblivion at four in the morning, five in the morning, and I would wake up at seven in the morning or eight in the morning before anyone. I would drink longer than anyone and wake up before anyone, even if they were doing extra stuff. You know what I mean? I was just like, I don't know. So but I would wake up and start reading. Like I would read and read and read. And that was my thing. Like I always had some book around something that I was reading, something to try to, I think you would lose yourself. To the drinking then i would try to find myself in the mornings and yeah. to me it was like putting the pieces together but that to me was the most important thing yeah. like that helped me find myself more than anything and i think i did i struggled and i struggled to quit i struggled to quit i struggled to quit and um wait why were you why did you want to quit drinking? i really felt like because it, it was skating honestly it was yeah. making me so i couldn't skate yeah and i really that's really what i wanted to do is skate and it had yeah. nothing to do with being pro being sponsored yeah. yeah all my friends were doing that they wanted to film the trick to get the clip and i just wanted to get the clip so i could see it yeah it wasn't trying to get on some team or anything yeah. i honestly never wanted to be pro my entire life never wanted to be sponsored or anything none of that yeah. But what happened, this is a good story. So what happened, I was working at the university. This is an amazing story. This is the story that I thank John Buchanan for the rest of my life for. Now, what happened was I was working at the University of Central Florida for six years as a groundskeeper, you know, taking care of this property. And it was great. Four more years, I would have been vested for retirement. I would have had a pension, you know. I think that's what they call it. <laughs> but... um. So he came, I had owned this house. My mom had kicked me out of the house when I was young. I was like uh, 19 and I was living there with my girlfriend at the time, the one that had, was manic depressive. And so three months in, my mom says, I want you out of this house. I want you out of this house. You can't, so she kicked me out. She kicked me out and um, that day I opened the newspaper and found a HUD home for sale. And I went and bought that house the same day that she kicked me out. I came back, they gave me $3,500 down on the, the down payment, and yeah. I had to pay it back throughout the payments. They dispersed it. So whatever, uh, I bought the house, came back, my mom said, you're a liar. You didn't buy a house. I said, I bought a house. She said, get in the car, come on, I'll show you. I drove her up to the house. It was in Sanford, Florida, the place where Larry the Cable guy's from, and where that guy Zimmerman killed uh, Trayvon Martin, yeah. the same town, which didn't surprise me when that happened. So. It's a very racist town. So um, I lived between a Ku Klux Klan member and a, and my black neighbors, and I was in the middle. So basically, I bought that, took her, showed her. Um, she said, I didn't want to kick you out. I wanted the girl out of the house. I didn't really want you out. I just wanted her out. And I said, well, here we go. Yeah. I bought my house. So anyways, three years into owning that property or two years in, I broke up with the girl. Well, no, that's not how it went. Yeah, well, I did because Buchanan came. And I was 23 because it was six years into working at the university. 23 years old. Uh, I was living with the girl, working year, at the university. Shit. It was, it had to be 1997, oh. I think, somewhere around there. 
98, something like that. Because I was born in 75. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was like 99, maybe 99. So, um, Buchanan and them were filming a lot for their DNA. He was pro for DNA skateboards and he was filming a lot for that. And he was uh, traveling a lot. Jimmy Chadwick, uh, Nate Jones came and stayed with me a few yeah. times. And I was like, wow, these guys, you know, I'm going to work at this university every day to mow grass and afterwards going skating with these guys. But at the same time, I was kind of envious, like, damn, these guys are traveling and skating. They can just pick up and go whenever they want. So one day Buchanan, I, I, he, I let him live with me. He started to live with me. And then one day he woke up, he's like, I'm going to go to DC for two weeks and I'm going to go on this trip and go skate and film. Do you want to come? I'm like, well, work isn't going to let me off. I've been taking too much time off and they're not going to let me off. And he's like, you know what? Why don't you quit that job? <sighs> and I'm like, <sighs> I'm like, well, this, I'm going to go, I'm with this girl. I'm working here. Um, He's like, why don't you break up with that girl too? She makes your life hell. Yeah. And I'm like, she kind of does. I'm like, she, she, you know, I loved her, but she was making my life more hell than anything. And he's like, and I'm like, and uh, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to quit this job. I think I'm going to break up with this girl. And I think I'm going to sell this house. And he was like, you're going to do it? And I'm like, well, let's see. I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I'm going to think about it while I'm there, yeah. you know? And so I'm there. And I get off work. I completely forgot about everything because yeah. I'm an idiot. I probably drank all night. And, I, and, and I'm at work. And then I, I'm getting out. And the crew is like 30 or 40 of us when we get off. It's like the whistle blows and everyone's going. Yeah. And I'm walking with my, with my shirt, my work clothes on. And I see Buchanan waiting in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, damn, I forgot completely. And then uh, I look at him and I think, and I'm like, you know what? I start unbuttoning my work shirt and I take it off and I ball it up and I throw it into the woods and all the crew looks at me like, what the fuck are you doing, Mancini? And I'm like, I fucking quit. And they're like, what do you mean you quit? I pop the trunk to my car. I have an old English ice. I don't know if you ever had that old English oh, ice. No, it's 9% alcohol. It was in my trunk for a week in the summer in Florida for a week. So I pop that open and I pound the whole thing in one chug. And all the crews are the crews looking at me like, what the fuck? Go, 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 go. I pound the whole thing and throw that into the woods. I say, come on, Buchanan, let's go. I'm like, follow me to the house. I'm packing up. And I he follows me all the way to my house and I pack all my stuff up and I leave a note for my girlfriend. Like, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm not, I don't want to be in this anymore. I'm selling the house. I quit my job. I've gone to DC for two weeks. Or maybe it was a week and a half. Whatever. It was something like that. And so whatever we get, I got in the car. Made a fast decision. Just like my whole life. Yeah. So it seems like it carries over from like when you left Providence. Damn. And I didn't even make that connection until <laughs> you just said it. But yeah. See? You see? Yeah, it was always easy for me to break change. up with girls too. Like I don't know. To yeah. break up with anything and just move. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that's, that I thank him for the rest of my life. Oh, I could have had a pension. I could have been yeah. uh, retired from the state of Florida, Maybe which we, is... Yeah, that might not have been healthy, though, living on a pension retired. You might have gotten just darker and deeper. Yeah, I might have kept drinking. Who knows? I, you know, and like I feel like the, all the experiences that I had with Buchanan, Mike Rosa, Danny Renaud, even Ryan Nix, and like these people, 
believe it or not, they opened my eyes to new ways of living. Like, you you know, I was in this mundane routine yeah. of waking yeah. up and going to work. And now, of course, now here we go. It's full circle. I'm back to this again. Right, but you have a family. And, and, you know, now I have a pinched nerve in my hip. I have sciatica. I got my leg, my back, and my hip are all so bad. I can't even tie my shoe in the morning. Yeah. And um, I have to get my wife sometimes to help me tie my shoe. Yeah. But it's like, uh, I don't know. And then to me, I, that, that, I thank him forever for that. And I'll ne- I will be so grateful. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, and then that, that, was, that was before LA, right? Yeah, and yeah. then we would, but the thing about it, we would go on trips, like with Westside. We'd go to Texas every year for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We'd go to New York, to New Jersey, to Pennsylvania, Ohio. To, and these are all road trips taken with these guys for years and years and years. How are you supporting yourself? I, I had no money. Boards and shoes, like yeah. living for... Three or four years, I'll say, I really didn't work. I didn't work at all. And I was just, for those three or four years, I was just living off of whatever they would throw me, 99 cent burgers. or And Danny Renaud was at the top of his game at one point where he's getting checks per month for lots of money, you know, yeah. and from different companies. He was making maybe eight, 10 Gs a month off of Before the Before Habitat? No, when Habitat, when he was the popping guy in Habitat. Oh, yeah. And now, I remember it taking him to get like cheeseburgers at Burger King. And so, and yeah, it wasn't any, to me, it was like, it was the, it was he complete must, liberation. He must have come returned back from California. To, I hated having to depend on my friends for stuff, but it was like, I look at it now. And like I was telling my dad the other day, it's like, I look at it now and I'm glad I did that because now, I look back at these stupid videos we made for the West Side Skate Shop. They're not stupid. They're amazing. They're yeah, there's like a documentary. I, and, and I look at it now and I can look back and I say, man, I, I could have, there could have been a vacuum there for me where I would have been like, oh, I didn't do anything. Yeah. But I look back and I'm like, I did something. And, and, I, and like I told you, I was on a decline with my skating at that point. I wasn't, I wasn't the yeah. apex predator but in I Orlando think, like I, I was. I think know? skateboarding gives you that reward that... You can pick yourself up. Like I, I did something on my own, learned it on my own, accomplished this on my own. So I think it gives us a sense of independence that a lot of other people in different walks of life don't get to to understand early on in life. So I think that I feel like yeah. only like other only the only other thing I can relate to skateboarding is musicians or music yeah. and maybe in art. Yeah. Artists and musicians are the only ones that understand skateboarding only because all those bleed over into other. Uh, walks of life as well you know what I mean like like I was telling my dad you can be a basketball player all day you can go to New York and bring your basketball yeah you're gonna play ball with those guys but when the game's over everyone goes home yeah but with skating it's a lifestyle so it always you're gonna have those friends for the rest of your life that you went to I met them I, I told them I can go to Japan or go to China with my skateboard only and no agenda or anything and just go and meet another skater. And that guy's probably going to be my friend for the rest of my life. You said you had you tried to quit 10 times. No, what in 10, 10 years, years. For like, 10, 10 years. I wouldn't say always trying to quit for the whole 10 years, he but I did old. struggle on and off. Like trying to, I would quit for like three months, six months. I quit was the longest during that 10 year period. Yeah. And I fell back. I had went to a, uh, it's funny because I think in like I quit in uh what year was it? I said 2011, but in 2010 I had quit for like three or four months. But I had made a trip to um, 
to San Francisco to see 80s Joe. And so I'm up there, I'm up there skating with them, you know, on this sober trip, like, oh, I'm sober, I'm in San Francisco, hanging out with 80s Joe, skating with him, but he's working, so he has to go. I remember he had to go to his, his job this day. It was like the second day I was there, and I was there for like a week. And um, so this guy comes up and he's like, oh man, I got these mushrooms. I got these wild mushrooms. And I'm like, oh, uh, that's nothing, man. You know, I take, you know, I used to take 15, 20 caps at a time. That I'd have to take that much to feel anything. This guy had three little nubs in his hand. I'm like, give me that. I throw it in my mouth and eat it. Yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? He's like, dude, do you know you're going to be wigging your face off? I'm like, bah. I'm like wigging my face off. I'm like, this fucking little shit. He's like, those aren't Florida mushrooms. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm used to these Florida caps. You know, yeah. you got to eat like 20 of them to uh -huh. even get a, anything. He's like, those are from Oregon. Those are a special breed. Those are going to knock your socks off. I'm like, no, it's not. What? Oh, my God. What did I do? So 80s Joe's like, okay, man, see, I got to go to work now. Bye. So he goes to work and leaves me with 10 dudes that are like, we're going to go skate this parking curb on the bank. You know that that one spot with the wall ride with the pole where um, Boozness shot his board behind the pole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That spot. So over to the side, there's like a bank to a parking curb and all these these OGs like my age are all skating the parking curb block. Yeah. And I'm having fun skating it with them. And all of a sudden, the mushrooms kick in. And for me, when I used to take mushrooms and trip, I used to have to, uh, I'd have, the setting was the most important thing. Yeah. You had to be around people you knew and be comfortable with. I didn't know any of these people. So the trip starts kicking in and I lose my mind. Yeah. Like paranoia to the umpth degree. So I fucking, I, I vanish. I just skate off to the liquor store that I knew was on the corner. And I grabbed two 40s of Budweiser and I literally drank them both in 10 minutes. Yeah. Five minutes per 40. Blackout. I wake up in a bathroom locked inside of this bathroom. I can't get out. I'm like, what the fuck? So, and I'm still out of my mind trying to, ah, and I see this stack of like thrashers and transwell to the ceiling. So I just start peeing all over them and mad, angry that they won't let me out. Whoever's out there, I don't even know. You know, and I'm locked out there. And apparently the, these people had locked me in there because I did. I, I went to a party, got kicked out of the party. The whole party tried to fight me. And then I end up in someone's living in 80s Joe's living room with all his roommates. And I'm 1080 pissing in the middle of the living room. This is what they told me. <laughs> and then, so I'm 1080 pissing in front of all these strangers. I don't know the 80s Joe's roommates. And then I'm locked in this bathroom, but I have my phone, so I'm texting 80s Joe. I'm locked in this bathroom. I don't know what happened. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. That's what happened. I'm like, and that's all I get from him, you know? Yeah. Then I, then finally they let me out because I won't stop banging. And then I go into 80s Joe's room, and they say, stay in there. Stay in there. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to stay in here. So I just went to sleep, and I woke up to 80s Joe just shaking his head. Oh, he's good at that. Looking at me like, yeah. you, you know? I know that look. But then he kind of made me feel better about like, man, just just stay in here and don't yeah. but then then I went out in the morning and I apologized to everybody and like you know I'm like fuck man have you sorry. had a lot of mornings like that in your life <laughs> yes yes 
there, maybe not a lot, but definitely like five or six where it was like, damn, man, like, what did I do? Yeah. Maybe, maybe 10 or 12. But I mean, we go back to that, to that, you know, you doing things with the intention of love, right? What you think is a good intention. Yes. Now, in a sober mind state, yes, that's how I thought. And that's how, that's me, who I really am. But the drinking would make me think of Black Sabbath and Metallica and I'm fucking nwa i don't give a fuck you know yeah. what i mean and and that mentality was what got me into a lot of trouble going up to the bar and just ordering a beer while pissing on the bar or something yeah. like that you know they didn't know you were pissing on the bar because yeah. you're under here you know what yeah. I mean? it was like things like that would get me thrown out of places and yeah. out of control mm-hmm. you know so it was like i don't know man it was that i have i was torn between this mentality of peace and love and then this mentality of fuck the world like ah, i'm out of control punk rock hip-hop till i die i don't give a fuck or you know and i'm still torn now that i've been sober almost seven years i'm still torn in that in that regard yeah as because i still have this rebellious mentality this punk rock mentality that's never gonna leave me yeah till i'm dead i will have this mentality yeah george carlin is probably my favorite person ever he is my favorite person ever because he was buck the system right in their face, yeah. which you can't afford to be that way in this time. Mm-hmm. People are offended now if you tell them your favorite color. Mm-hmm. You say, oh, I like the color blue. What? Like they're going to get mad. Yeah. Someone's going to be mad at you. Yeah. And I'm not used to that. I'm a 90s guy. Yeah. You know, 80s and 90s kid, more 90s. But it's a rebellious thing, man. And I still have this rebellious attitude. My wife gets mad at me. My father, they all get mad at me. Then you spent a few more years doing the same thing, sort of partying with everybody and blacking out and stuff. So that were you into heavy things when you were in Miami? Or? I was just doing. I was drinking and doing coke. I, I, the, the, the worst thing decision. I, I mean, I came back to Miami. You know, body broken, poor, and I ended up living on Joel's couch. And and uh, I never, I never got sober. I said, oh, I'm off heroin. That's good enough, right? So I just kept on drinking and everything else. So I didn't learn my lesson. It's um, funny because I looked like heroin. I never did it, but I look. It was like you. See, I was into Nirvana and bands that you know. All, all every band they dabbled in it, but it. It was like you know mushrooms and stuff made me a creative person. I feel like it opened my mind to a lot of things, you know. But it was like the heroin always made people very creative. Did you feel that way? No, I felt the opposite. I mean, it engulfed my whole life. There was I didn't even really? take any pictures. Really? But how come the people like Mazzy Star, for say, like she wrote all her best music. I mean, she's, her name's not Mazzy Star. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, that's yeah. the band, but I forget her name. Yeah, I mean, I. But she. Uh, I might have come up. I think I was just unraveled in trying to. I got it mixed into it because my girlfriend was into it. And I was trying to save her life, and I got caught in the whirlwind. And I think that the whole time I was an addict, I was trying to get her to quit. And I got sucked into it at the same time. So wow. I didn't really have space to be creative. It wasn't like living, you know, this bohemian life and I'm doing drugs. And I'm, yeah. It was more like, oh, this girl's going to, I love her. She's going to die. It seemed sleep. to open that floodgate for a lot of people, though, like, yeah. where they were so, writing or like, I don't know. It's weird. Why? When did you decide to clean up? So basically around 2000, yeah, it was 2011. Um, September 15, 2011. I mean, this isn't a crazy story. It's by far a mellow story compared to all the rest of the shit I did. But um, I had a bunch of friends down from West Palm Beach that night. 
and they were hanging out in the apartment in, in like this sitting in a circle, like a powwow circle, all just drinking and laughing. And I'm trying to entertain them. Ah, I'm this crazy guy. Ah. So and I grab my wife's beach cruiser, that same beach cruiser that's out there. And I take it on the bed and I'm like, ah, I'm riding it on the bed and the door you were, opens. Were you with Christine at that point? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and I'm riding the bike on the bed. This is on 16th and, no, was it 10th and, and Meridian, I think. And I'm riding the bike on the bed and the door opens and it's my wife. Not at the time she yeah, wasn't yeah. my wife, but I'm, and she looks like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm in the bicycle on the bed and they're all laughing. And she's like, all right, everyone's got to go. Everyone's got to go. And she aired everyone out. I guess I was pissed about it. So I, I don't remember because I was drinking so heavy. They, uh, she, I, I was mad that she had kicked everyone out. So I'm la- apparently, well, not apparently because she videotaped me uh-huh. laying on my back, just cursing her out blah, 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 for an hour. And she put the thing down on record and left it there recording me and went into the bedroom. And, and I'm blah, 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 talking to myself, thinking she's there. And she, the next morning I woke up and she's like, do you know what you did last night? I'm like, kind of. You kicked my friends out and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, look at this. And she plays the video for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it really, it's so funny how many times Joey P and these guys film me being a maniac like that. And it didn't matter to me. But when she did it, it was a whole it was a whole different thing like yeah. it was like i looked at it completely differently damn damn that's me and that was a mellow thing to me oh bike on the bed oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's dumb like I you're would, in, you're in love though I think yeah you're... yeah and i think that the th- it wasn't a th- she didn't threaten me or anything like that but i felt threatened she put a mirror to like your real yes and it exactly and and i and after seeing the video the next day I told myself, okay, that day in the morning, no, that day in the morning, I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna drink anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just not gonna drink. So my one of my habits was to go skate up to MIA and go mess with Chris and Ed and kind of, I don't know if Ed was still working there mostly, but Chris, I would go mess with him. Yeah, no. So whatever, and I'd go up there and and I was in the habit of bullshitting with them, and then I'd always skate around the corner and there was a liquor store right there, MV Liquors, mm-hmm. and I would just, my habit was to always just go in there. So when I went to go grab the handle of the door, I said, no, no, don't, don't grab it. And then in my head, I said, you know, that's the easiest way to quit this whole thing is just don't let your hand grab these door handles of any liquor store, of any liquor store. Don't let your hand grab the door handle. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It was after that, it was the first week was a little rocky. Like, oh, oh, you know, I want to drink. I want to do but at, I always had this five day thing. It was after the fifth day, it was, that was it. It never crossed my mind again. And like only recently in the past couple of weeks has it crossed my mind again, drinking. Mm-hmm. Because now it's like this, seeing my dad sometimes triggers it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've had a very traumatic life as, as in regards of like losing people like I lost my brother and my mother pretty much at the same time and within like a you know an eight month period and Mm -hmm. it was like my cousin my two at the same time it was like very traumatic you know Mm -hmm. very traumatic for me and it was funny because not funny but I quit in 2011 my brother passed away in 2012 my cousin in the middle of 2012 and then my mother at the beginning of 2013 Mm -hmm. so it was like um, I had just quit drinking, you know. I'm yeah, no. So to 
and the crazy thing is, is I didn't think of drinking once. Yeah. Through any of that. Yeah, it's amazing. It was like almost like, like oh, I I felt like oh, what do I deserve this? Or like I feel like um, it was just it was very hard. it was it, I'm not gonna say it wasn't hard. Not it wasn't hard not to drink. It was hard just dealing with that. Yeah. You know, and it and it was just like I just like that whole oak in the storm. I was telling you like when I, I when I was seventeen, I really was into Buddhism from seventeen to like twenty two, and like really into the 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 value, the principles of Buddhism, and that stuck with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and that having those principles helped me helped me immensely through my entire life yeah just knowing those truths you come back to the calm you can always bring yourself center back like you know what i mean like i can be as crazy as i want as long as i can always bring myself back to that place and if you have that i i want to always gift someone with that but you can't it's a life experience that you have to learn on your own i could you know they say you can draw a horse to water but you can make it drink i mean you got to get to that point where you realize that like now is the time no one can tell you otherwise and if you the, if you love yourself 110 percent 100 200 percent like i do i really do love myself they can never take that from me that's what i always realize they can take all of this from me you can yeah. take my house from me but you can't take the love i have my family yeah. or you can't take i mean you know nature can do its thing but i'm saying like you have yeah. to when you have that no one can take it from you yeah. no one so i'm like I think skateboarding, the most important thing skateboarding taught me is how to live with nothing. Yeah. When you learn how to live with nothing and master that, you don't need much after that. You like There was a Karis one quote he says on one of his albums. He says, he says, make sure you have what you need. Keep at a safe distance the things that you want. Wants and needs are things that get you into trouble. Yeah. So I was like this, and I learned from another source that um, once the second you say you want, it was conversations with God book. I don't know if you've read those books. Very, very, those changed my life, changed my grandmother's life and changed my mother's life when I introduced those books to them. And the thing about it is it has nothing to do with religion yeah. at all. It throws people off conversations yeah. with God. Oh, I'm scared. Yeah. I was scared. I'm like, oh, I hate religion. It's yeah. the main purpose for all the pain on earth. Well, he says in those books, the second you say you want something, you're pushing it away from you. Mm-hmm. You're pushing it away from you and you're creating a tension in your life. Yeah. So if you don't want anything but love, which is already here then inside you can, of you, you can receive these things. You, my thing is, I've taught myself is to know you already have all of it. Yeah. Know that you're a millionaire. Know that you're a billionaire. Know. And the universe will, will, kind of give it to you not that you'll be a millionaire or a billionaire but yeah. that it's just a feeling it's a feeling and that's what we that's why we use that's what i you know i use drugs and alcohol to to get just to usurp the hard work and just you try and it's the reward that you just kind of you have to yeah. action you need action yeah but that mentality already gets you 50 percent there you know and, and i think the um the thing about it is um you have to have action when you know that you have, it's just a feeling, like I say, almost anything, like they say there's, okay, like there's millionaires who have everything and then they lose it all and they commit suicide, mm-hmm. right? Well, I feel like if I were to have a million dollars and I lost it all, I would be fine. Of course, I would go through a series of pain and feelings, but 
I would always get back to that place where I would be fine because I know I know how to live without that. But I don't think they, some of them never learn how to live with nothing. Yeah. If you can master nothing, you win everything. Yeah. I think it's a good, good time to stop. It's good. Okay. Perfect, man. Thanks, Mike. All right. You're, you're welcome, it. man. And thank you. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, Michael Mancini. That was one hell of a ride. I really appreciate you being so forthcoming. I also want to thank the Talking Dogs for the soundtrack for today's episode. I want to thank the listeners out there. Also, anyone struggling with alcohol and drugs, please tell somebody, reach out. There's loads of support out there for us. Until next time, give it one more try. Go!